you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, reach forward and grab that pew Bible. I believe we're still on page 59 in Exodus, or in the, in the pew Bible. And the reading this morning, Mike, if you'd go ahead and advance the slides, please. Starting in verse 13, Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13 to 17. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. Please have a seat and join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it would penetrate our hearts deeply this morning. Lord, that if we need to confess, we would confess. If we need to rejoice this morning, may our praise be so much louder than the praise of even those who are giving us a great example this morning outside of our walls of what it is to praise and sing or be excited for those who are coming in and finishing a race this morning. May our praise be so much louder and ruckus this morning than the praise of our God and who he is, who you are, Lord. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. It may have been a little bit difficult for parking, but, uh, you know, it's okay. Um, the Chelan man, again, last week we talked a little bit about how we can view things in our community as either burdens or something to create a testimony of praise. And having all these wonderful people in our community right now is a blessing to our community, both in a financial aspect, but also an opportunity for us to love on them and encourage them. Elijah was out there doing that yesterday, uh, supporting the racers and being there for them. This morning we're going to begin um, a little bit differently, which shouldn't be much of a surprise, those of you who know me. Um, I've been reading a book. It's a book by a contemplative nun. It's a book on hope and failure. When we come together and we worship God and we study God's word, the desire is to take the truths of God's word and apply it to our lives and our hearts. We begin to line up our actions and what our thoughts and our, our words according to what we see in scriptures. And one of two things should probably come as a result. One of them is conviction because we realize we're not living the way we should live in accordance with scriptures, or a result of, of praise, where we realize that, Lord, because of your righteousness and goodness to me, 
I'm following what you are telling me to do in scriptures, and I rejoice in you because I understand that that's from you and not from me. In this book, this woman who I have never read a Catholic who so wonderfully put and was so reliant on God's grace. It's been beautiful read. She makes a statement in there that has caused both Christy and I to sit and reflect substantially. That when we do not confess our sins fully to God, and we do not accept that we are truly failing in our ability to follow God, we fail to grasp the grace of God. We fail to embrace it. We cry out to God, where are you? We cry out to God, I feel distant from you. But when we don't have a repentant, confessional heart, it is like we're taking our arms and we're stiff-arming God and saying, I want your grace, but only up to this point. Instead of dropping our arms and saying, I am a complete failure and I have a lack the ability to live this life that you have called me to and I need the grace of God in abundance and draw in and allow God to just embrace us fully. Why begin here this morning? Why start here? It seems like a weird place to start because as we go through this text, my heart's desired. Someone said to me this week, another, it, it was crazy, was this person was not yet a believer, said to Christy and I this week that Shalan is a weird community because it's a community that has a really hard time repenting and owning its errors. My heart's desire and prayer for us as a church family is that we're a beacon of light and hope in this community for being a confessional, repentant people. That when we sin and we fail to measure up to God's standard, that we are quick to repent and confess that and draw into God's grace and pursue God once again. So as we read this text this morning, if you find that you're studying God's word, you're examining your heart as you're studying God's word with me this morning, and you go, I have not lived this well, that we be quick to confess this morning. We be quick to repent. And that this morning would be a morning of rejoicing as we see the grace of God greater applied to our lives. And like the prodigal son that returned home and experienced the full grace of his father that he would have never experienced had never gone away. That doesn't justify his sin. But because he did recognize his failure and he came home, he experienced the grace of his father. And may we who have sinned and failed to live to the standard God draw in and experience the grace of our Lord as we study his word this morning. Now some of you may be going, having read this text ahead of time or having known this, read of this text maybe before, you're going, Boy, Scott, this is going to be interesting how you're lining up with what you're saying because really oftentimes when I've heard this text preached or this text referenced, it's referencing the spiritual leadership within a hierarchy structure of a church or within the nation of Israel, that the top leaders dealt with this. And I'm going to challenge us this morning that this text doesn't just apply to church leaders or national leaders, but to all of us. Let's look at the text together. Remember, this text is in light of what took place last week. Jethro has 
brought Moses' wife and two sons of Porah. And we see Gershom, and we see Eleazar. It's a great family reunion that takes place. And Moses greets and is concerned about the welfare of his father and his family, and he takes time to greet him well. And then it goes from a time of greeting one another to this wonderful time of testimony of praise, where Moses is like, I've got to tell you what God's been doing. And this greeting is built upon with this time of praise, and this time of praise then because of what Jethro is hearing and is seeing and is experiencing with Moses, he hears the testimony of praise, and then Jethro begins himself to praise God and proclaims that there is no God greater than the one true God. Jethro then offers sacrifices with the other elders, the leaders of, of Israel, and then they broke bread together and they spent time in fellowship before The next day, in verse 13, Moses sat up to judge the people of Israel. Now, I want to pause here for a second because in today's terminology, that that word judge kind of has a negative connotation. When you guys think of judge or judging, how many of that comes with a negative aspect to it? Like people going to jail kind of thing, right? Or, Or people being condescending on one another. Like, I'm being judged. That means somebody's looking down upon me, right? It kind of carries with it a negative connotation. Well, what Moses was doing here, and let's not miss this. What Moses was doing is he was having the people come before him who have a dispute or there's been some wrong action taking place or they even have maybe something that's going on in their lives they don't understand it or maybe they have a failing to understand who God is. Is Moses is taking the words of God and the direction that God has given him and he is applying it to the everyday stuff of people's lives. You have a dispute. Well, let's take the words of God, let's take the instruction of God and apply it to this situation and see where things line up and see who needs to repent and who needs to confess and and see what God needs to do here in this situation for there to be a right made out of a wrong situation in order to redeem this situation. That's what Moses is doing day in and day out. This isn't a negative thing. This is a very good thing for the people of Israel. Moses is, I'm going to repeat it again, taking the words of God, the instruction of God, and he's practically applying it to the people of Israel's lives and the daily experiences that they're having. And the people stood around him from morning till evening. This is going on all day, every day. Now, how many people approximately, just a generalized number, were made up the nation of Israel about this time? Two to three million. Million, yeah, million. So one guy, voice of God, one guy for this amount of people, right? And, and Jethro's not a rocket scientist here, right? He's sitting around watching this take place. But remember what we learned about Jethro last week. Jethro was, was a leader of a large family of Midianites. So he comes to this situation with some experience on how to lead people. And so he's sitting there watching him go through. And Moses' father-in-law, verse 14, saw all that he was doing with the people. He said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. The people want to know what they're to do in these certain circumstances, in these certain situations. And they come to me because God has directed me to lead these people. And they want to know what to do. And so I'm instructing them in the wisdom of God. 
And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make known to them, don't miss this, I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses is instructing them in doctrine, but doctrine not in such a sense that it's just puffing up their heads and they're just getting really big head knowledge, but doctrine that says this is how the character and the person of God practically applies to your situation in life right here, right now. Did you know that your understanding of who God is determines how you live your life? That your practical theology of God determines how you live your everyday life. For some reason, somewhere along the line, that's got mixed up. And that is my desire that as we study the word of God together, that we, we look and we continually ask, who is God and what has he done? When we look at scripture, right? And then we answer the question, well, who am I and what should I do in light of who God is and what he's done and who am I now in him? Because that's who we are. Our identity is in God. So these folks are looking to practically live out. So Moses, what is spiritual leadership this morning as we look at this title? Spiritual leadership in this situation, the circumstance Moses is doing as he judges the people, he is rightly applying the truth of God to the lives of the people of Israel. He is their spiritual leader by taking the truth of God and rightly applying it to the lives of those who are around him in the everyday stuff life. God is informing Moses so that the people might follow after him and worship him with everything they do and say. This is exciting. Did you know the Bible for us is that practical? It is so wonderful and beautiful. That is why it is so urgent for us to study God's word. Because this is the word of God to us, isn't it? And that the word of God applies practically to the everyday stuff of life. And so that as the word of God impacts our hearts and changes our hearts, we're then able to worship God 24-7 as God is changing our hearts through the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can worship him and glorify him with all of our lives. This is exciting. This is good stuff. Well, for some people who've studied this passage, they ask the question, All right, great spiritual leadership. Who are spiritual leaders? Who are they? Well, in today's perception, most oftentimes, if you were to say who's a spiritual leader, you would say pastors and elders, right? And you're not wrong. Pastors and elders are spiritual leaders in the church. Their jobs and roles within the church family is to take the word of God, study the word of God, and apply it to, practically apply it to, the church family, and to ourselves in our daily application of life, right? We're supposed to be able to lead people in this understanding. If you come to an elder, if you come to a pastor of LSC, and you sit down and say, am I having this dilemma, and I'm, I'm having this struggle, or I'm just, you know, wondering to know about this portion of Scripture, we as leaders, church leaders, should go, okay, who's God, what's he doing, who are you in light of who he is and what he's doing, and how does this change how you live your life? That's our role and our responsibility as church leaders. But did you know it's not just for church leaders? Let's look at the family unit. Moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, you also are spiritual leaders as well, are you not? 
your spiritual leaders in your home. And men, whether you like it or not, I don't like it, but God did it, so therefore it's good. I'm the spiritual leader and head of my home. And so the spiritual leadership that is taking place within my home is whose responsibility? Ultimately, mine. I may have shared this with you before, but it's worth repeating. My battalion commander always had a great saying at all of his company change of commands. He stood up in front of the company, and he had the company commanders beside him, the outgoing and the incoming. He goes, these company commanders are responsible for every success and every failure of this company. As spiritual leaders within our home men, we are responsible for the good things and the bad things that come out of the result of our spiritual leadership within our home. And that's a big burden to bear. Thank goodness we have the grace of God who comes alongside of us and strengthens us. But we have a responsibility. Saddest, one of the saddest statements in America is Father's Day is the lowest day of church attendance in America. Oh, ouch on the men's spiritual leadership on that one. It's our responsibility. But ladies, you can make turn to your husbands right now and you'll be like, see, I told you so. See? But guess what? God also calls you to be spiritual leaders as well in your homes and, and, and leading and guiding them. And we have situations and circumstances in our church family where we have spiritually single women in our church family who the men are not yet believers. And they have to lead that family in regards to spiritual growth. God is calling us as husbands and wives to be spiritual leaders. And hopefully you're going to go home and hopefully start a great conversation amongst husband and wives today. How are we doing spiritually leading our family? And, and in this room, a lot of grandparents. How are we doing spiritually leading our grandkids? And our kids, it changes, right? Your kids grow up, and they start having families of their own, so that, that mentoring, discipling role changes a little bit, but it's still there. Do you have the courage to speak into your kids' lives lovingly, caringly, about spiritual matters? I hope so. I rely on my mom and dad to do it. I rely that when I take my, my kids to grandma and grandpa's, yes, it is more candies and sweets, and I get that. I accept that. Okay, that's coming. But I also want them to, to be spiritually leading my kids when I take them. And that instruction that when grandma and grandpa are having their time with God, that the kids are gathered around with them and, and they're drawing them into that. Some precious moments I remember with my grandma and those moments and, and time with grandma having her quiet time. And I'm reading the daily bread and she's reading the scripture and we're doing it together. But it doesn't just end. So maybe here you're here this morning and you're not a grandparent, you're not a parent, and you're going, you know, oh, sweet, I'm off the hook sermon that doesn't apply to me. Fantastic. We're all called to be spiritual leaders to our community, aren't we? I see a youth in here this morning and, you know, and your friends at school, your neighbors that you play with, cousins and other relatives, you, in the beginning stages of life, are getting this opportunity to learn from the Word of God in, in the very simplest of ways. And sometimes, let me tell you what, the kids have the most beautiful ways of applying Scripture. They haven't convoluted it as much as we did as adults. 
They just read something and on a full, wholehearted faith base just accept it. And then they go tell their friends about it and their neighbors about it. Hey, you know, did you know God is good? I mean, these kids coming home from VBS, God loves me. You know, God, God created me for a purpose. These kids are taking these truths and they're going home and they're telling their neighbors and their friends. And they're not scared about it. They're excited to share it because it's very real truth to them. For some reason, we hit, you know, that adolescent age. And then by the 20s, we're, we're scared to share that with somebody. I don't know what happened. But we're called all to be a community in 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. And Dave's preaching next week, and I'm, I'm going to be very careful here, Dave, not to go into your sermon. But 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5 speaks that we're to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ to God's Father. It's all of our responsibility to be these priests interceding on behalf of God to our community. So if you're here this morning and you thought, okay, it was just for the church leaders that we're going to talk about, nope. If you're just here for the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, nope. It's for all of us. This passage is for all of us. Moses was making things a little bit harder than it needed to be, though. In verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Now, this is interesting because if, if we understand the text, and I think we've understood it correctly when we look at this, that there's a proclamation from Jethro that Yahweh is the one true God, right? And he's making this proclamation of who God is. So that makes Jethro kind of like a new believer at this point. And the new believer is speaking into the seasoned believer at this point. And he's saying, hey, seasoned believer, hey, leader of God's people, what you're doing isn't good. And Moses could have at this point said, what do you know? Just yesterday you started praising God. I've been praising God. You know what I went through? I stood before Pharaoh. I've gone all, I've been through these, leading these people who are just some hard-headed individuals. What do you know what I'm doing is not good? Thank goodness Moses has a humble heart right here and receives this instruction. Verse 18, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. My dad has this saying that he often tells me, Scotty, you're working harder and not smarter. Whenever I'm, because you ever working on a vehicle or maybe you're in the garden or you're doing something around the house and you know the right tool you need. But you've got this other tool that's sitting right behind you, and you're bound and determined not to have to get up and go get the proper tool you need. And so you're just going to sit here and fuddle with this for like half an hour when it could have been done like in 10 minutes with this improper tool. Usually it's a screwdriver that's too small or, or something, and you're just trying to get this done. But you're, you're working harder and not smarter at this point, right? Moses is, is working harder and not smarter. But I'm not faulting Moses here at this point because Moses is doing what God had instructed him to do. He is leading the people. I don't know if there's a bit of inside Moses, nobody else can do it as good as I can do. I don't know. Text doesn't seem to indicate that. But Moses here is working a little bit harder and not smarter. And Jethro, from an outside perspective looking in, is, is giving him some, going to give him some counsel regarding this. But notice why this isn't good. It's exhausting for the leader. 
Moses is wearing himself out. Day in and day out. Judging the people. And guess what? I'm pretty sure that line doesn't shrink a whole lot. In fact, I'm pretty sure that more are getting added to that line every day than Moses is actually being able to see. And it's not only exhausting for the leader, but notice this. It's exhausting for the lead. I have unfortunately seen too many times in, in churches, and it's usually smaller churches that just takes place, and sometimes larger ones as well, where senior pastor leaders take it all upon themselves. And, and they don't train up other leaders. They don't disciple other people. And they put the full burden on themselves to lead the people. And sometimes there's a bit of pride that comes along with it, which isn't good. And pride that says, no one else can do it as good as I can. Or, or, or no one else can, can, can take on and, and, and disciple the people the way I can. So I'm going to do it all myself. And they wear themselves out. They become fried, frazzled, and oftentimes become bitter and angry as a result. One of the most beautiful things that I get to see in Mike Moore, Mike's not with us right now because he's filling in for a church in Kashmir for the next six months as they look for a pastor. But one of the most beautiful things in meeting Mike Moore was a man who's been in ministry for 30-some-odd years and not any bitterness about him. And when you sit down and talk with Mike, you sit down and talk with him about the leaders that he has trained up and the people he relied on, and you go, yep, you didn't do it alone. That's why I love our church family. We'll talk more about that in a second. But solo pastor leaders, solo church leaders, solo leaders in the community, when they're on their own, they're, I've got this mindset, I've got to do it all, I've got to do it all by myself, oftentimes burn out, hurt themselves, become exhausted. And what they think, we think that only that person is being affected, but it also affects the people that are being led. And they get weary. They get worried for their leaders. Parents ever feel exhausted by parenting or grandparents ever feel exhausted by, we have got statistics say now more than ever we have more grandparents parenting grandkids. You ever get exhausted? You ever get worn out? I know for me the times that I get the most exhausted as a father leading my family is when I'm trying to do it in isolation. I love my life group. They are life-giving to me. To have Glenn, to have Robert, to have Ray Sandage, to have Armando pouring into my boys and speaking God's truth into my boys and asking my boys how they're doing. Glenn and Ethan here this afternoon are going to do hopefully, if his voice hangs out, holds on, a gig for the wounded warriors. They're going to play together. And, and, and Glenn taking the time, like for four hours on Friday night, Glenn's not feeling well. And I don't mean to just brag on Glenn, but I just want to share with you what this looks like. And he's not feeling well, and it's, he's got this sinus infection going on, but him and Ethan go through some 40-some-odd songs in preparation so that he can train up Ethan to use his talent to bless others. 
I appreciate them that they come alongside of me and they watch me parent my kids and they come alongside of me and say, you handled that situation well or Scott, you didn't handle that situation really well. Do you think there's a better way you could handle it? Or they ask me great questions like, hey, are you spending time with your wife? Are you encouraging her and her faith? Are you spending time with your kids? Are you encouraging them? See, God designed us not to do it alone. Do you grasp that? You may need to go back and circle that, that Moses was sitting alone. And I think it's one of the great lies from the fall, is that God saved us and, and so that we can be this individual hubs of people and we pull away from and, and pull away from one another. When No, God, Jesus Christ, died upon the cross for our sins and rose from the grave, and he made us what? The church. He made us a family. And the evil one wants to do everything he can to keep us from being a united family and leaning on each other so we don't get burnt out, frazzled, fried, bitter, and angry. We see lone wolf ministries from people who would go out into the community, oh, I'm going to go minister here, I'm going to go minister here, and we're doing it by ourselves instead of leaning on each other and doing it together. Brothers and sisters, it is my heart and desire... People said, when are we going to have a discipleship program? Or when are we going to have an evangelism program for this church? We're not. We, we believe discipleship and evangelism happen hand in hand on a daily basis as we live out our lives in this community together. We want to do this together. Jethro turns to help lighten the load. To Moses, verse 19, now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. My goodness, that's a lot of people when we're talking millions. There's, there is some, I don't know if I'm Moses a little bit here, I'm a little scared. That's a lot of people to just to call upon to help judge the people of Israel to take God's word and correctly and apply it to people's lives. Whoa, God, this is scary. This is risky. I risk less when I'm by myself. Amen? Well, that's what we think. But God is commanding, or Jethro is giving Moses this wonderful insight for Moses to risk. And it's, there's going to be some failure. There's going to be some gentlemen who can't do this well. There are going to be some guys that fail, and Moses is going to have to come alongside of them and teach them and train them up. This is going to be, Moses is going to be hurt. Some of these individuals may turn their back on Moses and say, well, Moses' judgment was, over, was good over here, but on that decision, he made a poor decision. And people are going to stab Moses in the back. This is going to be difficult, but it's for what? will help train up, disciple, and lead others to become leaders and share in the work that God had. Verse 22, And let them judge the people at all times. Over great matters they shall bring to you, but on the smaller matter they shall decide themselves, and so it will be easier for you 
and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. This is where my dad would say, now you're working smarter and not harder, son. Share the load. As church leaders, we desire to train up other leaders within the body of Christ. We desire to take people and use their giftings to minister to the body of Christ. We, I have no desire for this to be a one-man show. I love the beauty of plurality of elders. To me, that's the most, one of the most beautiful things in Scripture, that we can share the load, that we can train up future leaders and have them trained in the Word of God so they can take the Word of God and rightly apply it to people's lives, encourage in people's faith, challenge people's faith, and walk alongside one another. I think this is beautiful in the, in the church of God, that we get to do this and disciple one another and teach one another I love that. I mean, you understand, when I went to seminary, it was not my intention to become a pastor. In fact, my wife said he'll never be a pastor. A teacher, yes. He's good in the groups about five to ten. He's good at teaching. But a pastor, no. God had to do some work. But my heart's passion and desire lies to see people trained up in the word of God to be able to rightly apply it to each other's lives so you can turn it and take the word of God and rightly apply it to other people's lives so they can turn around and take the word of God and rightly apply it to other people's lives. And so we got all this wonderful redeeming work in people's lives going on as we disciple one another. Isn't this getting exciting? And you think if you were, if you think at this moment you were made for any other purpose, you're wrong. That's the only purpose you were made for. I don't know if we got that. We get wrapped up in our jobs and a lot of other things. God made us to be disciple makers. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. But baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, we were made for this. To do this together. To lighten the load. As parents, God has given us the wonderful blessing and grandparents of the church body so that we can disciple our families well and encourage one another by discipling each other well. That we can be a community of missionaries. We can go out into our community. We can minister to our community. We can pray for our community. We can take the gospel of Jesus Christ into our community. And we can do this together and encourage one another in the going. Because it will be discouraging. We will get the stiff arm. We will get people pushing back against us. And we need to keep praying. And we need to keep going. And we need to keep striving. But we need to do this together so we don't get weary and burn out. Because it's bad for us to try to go do this alone. Jethro has just given Moses a great amount of wonderful wisdom, hasn't he? Wonderful. Could you imagine how this passage would go so wrong at this point if Moses decided, you know what, you're a new Christian, and I got it, that may work for you in the land of Midian, but I know you guys are a bunch of pagans over there, and you got a lot of work going home and dealing with those people, so you just go back and do what works for you. I'm going to continue to do what works for me. We would call that a knucklehead move, right? 
Well, this is good wisdom. This is some good advice. Put this in practice. And look, I love what Moses says in verse, uh, verse 24 of Exodus 18. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. And advice becomes wise spiritual leadership. And he did all that he has said. And Moses chose, isn't that the truth though? How do we know when our kids or grandkids have listened to us? They do it, right? Right, they do it. Oh, I heard you mom and dad, but they just keep sitting there. Yeah, uh uh-huh. In one ear and out the other, that's where they, when they listen, when they've understood, they do it. Moses understood. He saw the wisdom of what Jethro was saying. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times in any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. What a timely, God-ordained moment this was for Moses and the nation of Israel. Some of you may say, why is this in the Bible? This was a crucial moment in the leadership history of Moses. And what a great understanding for us. That the minute we start thinking that it needs to be all about us and our leadership and what we're doing, we need to understand that it isn't about us. That God made us to be disciple makers and then training other people up to lead other people so that they might take the word of God and practically apply it to God's word or to people's lives and, and, and so that their lives might be radically altered and changed and their hearts might be redeemed by the work of God. What I love about this is when we begin to look, because this morning we said, Who is God? Well, if you take a moment and you look within the very Godhead itself. We don't spend near enough time talking about our Trinitarian God and the importance of that understanding and practically how we live our lives. We just don't. As we look within the Godhead itself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity is something I know that that we contemplate, we think about, that's kind of hard for us to understand, one being, essence, but three distinct roles, functions within the Godhead. This beautiful reliance, Communal relationship within the Godhead. God the Father. God the Father isn't the Son. He isn't the Spirit. The Spirit isn't the Father. The Spirit isn't the Son. The Spirit isn't the Father, nor is the Spirit Son. The Spirit's God. The Son's God. The Father's God. Right? Say that real fast, right? As you think about that, as you understand this and we wrestle with, okay, God is relying upon the God. The Trinity is relying upon itself to, to work and to operate perfectly, harmoniously together. There's reliance within the Godhead itself, but for some crazy reason, we individually feel like we can be reliant without the body of Christ when God made us to be part of the family of God. What did God say about Adam in the garden before Eve was made? It was not good that he was alone. God made Adam to be with Eve, and together they would glorify God in their relationship. Because what is the greatest command? Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, soul, body, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Adam couldn't fully live out what God had made him for without Eve. 
We can't fully live out what we've been called to live for God without the body of Christ and our relationship with the Lord. We need both. And we have this wonderful opportunity to live for God, be disciples, makers for God, in community with one another. We need the church family. God made us to be disciple makers. In your bulletin this morning, there's some questions, and Glenn's going to come up here in a moment and lead us in a time of response. How are you doing? How are you doing this morning, spiritually leading your family? Are there some areas that we talked about, like at the beginning of the sermon, that we need to confess? And not confess with a half-hearted heart. Not like, God, I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, I didn't, you know, you know, spend time with my grandkids in the Word this weekend, or I spent time with my kids in the Word this weekend, or I'm sorry I didn't spend time at all with you in the Word this weekend, or this last week. And, um, but you know, God... If those kids wouldn't have been so ruckus, or, you know, God, if I hadn't had so many things to do, I would have had time for that. See, that's half-hearted. That's not even a confession, is it? It's where we turn to God and we say, I had to, I had to this morning stop, as Glenn said, Lord, as he's leading us in the song, Lord, I confess. I had to sit down. Lord, I got confessing to do before I could stand up and preach. And I've got to stop making excuses. And just say, I failed to live for you in this area. And I want to experience your grace and your forgiveness so that I might not, I may stop failing in this area. I might move on to, to realize I'm failing in another area. Praise God. Because that's what growing up in Christ is. He's just going to move us on from understanding, okay, we're getting better in this area. And then we're going to realize we've got another area to grow up in. How are we doing? Drawing together with other believers and relying on one another to be a holy priesthood, a a priesthood for this community in this valley. Are we doing it alone? Are we relying on one another? I get it. The church is full of fallen people. I'm one of them. I get it. The church's family has hurt people. And there needs to be opportunities for confession and repentance. Opportunities to forgive one another. But please, do not let those hurts, do not let seeds of unforgiveness grow up in your heart that keeps you from being who God has called you, God has made you to be. My prayer for us is that as we look and move and desire to minister to our valley, that we would be known as a church that relies on one another, that is quick to confess and repent and experience the grace of God together. And the good news and the bad news is, as you go to live this out, we're going to fail to do this well, aren't we? We're going to mess this up, too. 
God, experience God's grace as we continue to strive to live it out. But let's not quit. Let's make a commitment together here today saying, you know what, I won't quit. You see, I can't live my life any other way. And I can't see us doing church ministry any other way. Because we, for too long in the history of the church, have made this leadership role all about church leaders. And we have weakened the church. So that when a church leader falls, churches are devastated. Because it's about one or two or three men or women. When God has commissioned the church itself and said, go make disciples, church. He's calling all of us to be disciple makers. So that, you know, I've joked around about this before, that I walk out here tomorrow and I get hit by a bus or, or a mad cyclist. And I go down. You're like, hey, Scott was a nice guy. Little emotional when he preached. But we know what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be taking the word of God. Studying the word of God. Rightly applying it to our lives and to the lives of those who God has put us in to lead. With the family of God. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for my dear brothers and sisters in here who love you. There are so many wonderful stories in here of faithful following you. And Lord God, I rejoice to be a part of this family. Lord God, I know sometimes when we preach sermons like this, there can be an aspect of fear of what it looks like to have deep relationships with other believers and to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people to disciple each other's hearts. Lord, there's, there's some fear and some trepidation, just like I'm sure Moses had as he's appointing some of these leaders to judge the people, that he's going, man, this is scary. They could really mess this up. But Lord God, we rest in you and that you are a good God and you're a glorious God and we know you've called us and drawn us into the relationship. Christ died so that we might become a family of believers, the church the bride of Christ. Lord God, we ask that our faith would be strengthened, that you would help us in our unbelief, and that we would overcome any fear, any trepidation we might have in living for you in light of this. In Jesus' name we pray and in the power of the Holy Spirit.